You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 639. For me, with me, making a film is always about humanity. Ryan Coogler. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Have you ever wanted to learn from a Hollywood blockbuster screenwriter or even an Oscar winner? Well, I wanted to put together a free three-day screenwriting video series taught by legendary screenwriters David Goyer, from, who wrote The Dark Knight, Nia Valdouris, who wrote The Big Fat Greek Wedding, Oscar-winning Callie Corey, who wrote Thelma and Louise, and Oscar winner Paul Haggis, who wrote Casino Royale. If you want access to this free class, head over to bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash free. Today's show is also sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films, from predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them. The odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Now, so many of us know how difficult it is to make an independent film. And today's guest has taken it one step, I think, too far when it was about making his film. We have on the show today filmmaker Josh David Jordan. And Josh's new film is called This World Won't Break. And, you know, he went through the process of what we all go through trying to make an independent film, some crazy stuff that happened, locations lost, money dropped out at the last minute, so many things. But not many of us have literally had a heart attack on the red carpet of the premiere of your film. And Josh did just that. He literally almost died to make this film. His story is quite remarkable and inspirational and a warning to all of us on what we're getting into as independent filmmakers. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Josh David Jordan. I'd like to welcome to the show Josh David Jordan. How are you doing, Josh? Man, I'm doing fantastic. I've been so excited to be on the show. I was like, whenever... I wake up and I'm going to go on a bike ride and I check my, to see what apps, uh, to see what podcasts have, you know, the newest, I see yours. I get super pumped because it's the perfect bike ride. It's an hour around my lake and I listen to it every single time. And it's like, it's the most inspiring thing to be riding your bike and listening to this, uh, this podcast. Oh, I appreciate that very much, man. And, and I do put out a couple of them a week. <laughs> I know. That's why I love it. 
love it. it it's 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 been my insanity for seven years just continuously putting out re, uh, just a lot of them uh but i appreciate it i'm glad it's always nice to hear that because like i said many times before on the show i just talk into a mic in a room and you just really don't know the impact it makes on people uh out there so um i appreciate you reaching out and and telling me about your story about your movie which is you know it's it's an interesting it's an interesting journey man I, I i'll be honest with you so i get pitched daily uh to for filmmakers to come on the show and it's 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 always got to be something special for me because at this point we're on like episode 630 or something like that i've heard a lot and a lot of things have been on the show so if they call me up and they go hey man i made a movie for five grand i'm like i made two movies for five grand. it doesn't matter like I, like that's no i need it's not 1991 anymore so your story was was really interesting to me is the budget that you did some of the interesting things that happened behind the scenes which we'll talk about oh. and and the quality and it looks so gorgeous man so congrats on the look of that film man because it it, it just i I don't see it often. Uh, mm. I see I see indie films at your budget range, and I'll be honest, they look like crap. They might be mm. good stories, it might be fun, but they don't look good. Yours looks six figures plus, easy. Mm. So that was one of the things that caught my eye. So that was that was the combination of a bunch of stuff that got you on the show. Yeah, that's that's the film. That's the film. This world won't break. You just described it in a nutshell. And it was really hard, um, Alex, when I would go to as I'm pitching for our, you know, the, our next film and people were like, you know, we loved your movie. It was gorgeous. And I was like, yeah, they said, what do you need for this one? Another two, three mil. And I'm like, million. And I'm like, oh, we did this for 36K. And they kind of shut down and they're like, oh, and they're not really interested. I'm like, it's so bizarre in this world that we live in of like indie film. If you can do it, I'm like, imagine what I could do for $500,000. Um, but it, it seems like it doesn't work that way for some reason. As in, as for me for right now, it hasn't worked out that way. So catch me when, too. You, when you talk to investors, let's tell them, yes, two million, please. Yes, uh, that's exactly all how much it costs. Yeah, I need two million. Exactly what I have budgeted, two million cash. When yes. can we start? Don't exactly. ever tell them the budget if you can help it. Uh, I know. I've you know, learned my lesson. Believe me, I've learned a lot of lessons. A lot of lessons. I would have. I would have. I would have. If I was coaching you, I would have told you. Yeah. Listen, tell everybody it cost quarter million, half mil. Easy. Yeah, put that. Put that in the revise of your book because that that's gold right there already. Already, we're not even in five minutes in. You're already given gold. <laughs> <laughs> But it's but it's so true because yeah, again, when investors are looking at you, like, oh, he only made it for 30. They don't look at it as like look at the value. They look at it as like, oh, they're not real. They're not a serious situation. And that's just short-sightedness. It, you yeah. know, I mean, look at Robert Rodriguez. He, you know, imagine if they would have been short-sighted with him. That's the thing. It's a different we live in a different world now. So Oh, and then some. Don't get me started. Don't get yeah, me started on that. It's just it's, oh, that the 90s was a great time and it's ruined us all. Ruined it has, has. I'm a, I'm a kid of the nineties for sure. So how did, so first, first question, brother, how did you get started in the business? Yeah. So my, you know, going way back, my dad was a traveling evangelist. He still isn't, he still is a preacher and me and my brother were on the road with him, uh, three piece suits. We would open up these white tent revivals. And so, I mean, I grew up in the South and the Midwest. And so like LA and New York were so so foreign, right? I mean, that was, this is pre-internet. This is pre-everything. It's just blockbusters. And, you know, I wasn't even watching foreign films because how could you, you know, especially traveling, we were homeschooled on the road. Um, 
but my dad was a cinephile. And so he made sure that when we were going to these little small towns, we would go see movies and the motels that we stayed in, we'd stay up late and watch TV. And I, that got me going. And then his favorite film is um, It's a Wonderful Life. And I remember like the way it made him feel. I was like, I want to do that. I want to, I want to, I want to make that. But, you know, being a 16 year old kid in, uh, in the South, you know, it's impossible pre-internet, pre like digital cameras, just, uh, so I go to the library and I would get books on like Alfred Hitchcock or whoever it was. And just, it just seemed like a fable to me. <laughs> and then I knew that acting they were doing school plays. That's as close as I could get it. Maybe I could be an actor and then go off to Hollywood. Um, so I did acting. I, I still do acting. And I was in university of Missouri and I, um, was doing theater and I was miserable because I wasn't making films. I just didn't know what that I wanted to create and tell the story, not really just be a day player, you know, a day or two. And then you go home and you're not really, your hands aren't in it. And I went to Dallas, Texas and started going to Katie acting studio, which was for film and television. And they walked in one day. It was one of my first days there. They were like, Hey, how tall are you? I said, I'm six, two. They go, come, come with us. So, at the time, Barney was a pretty big deal, the dinosaur, and he was going through contract negotiations and they were trying to frazzle him. So I got to do one episode of Barney and I thought, this is it. I'm in the TV world. Well, he renegotiated his contract and he went off and did his own thing. Hold on a second. When you say you did Barney, what did you do on Barney? I was the character. I got. I could do the voice, and I could be inside. So oh, you the voice. Him. Oh, you, yeah. you were the voice, and but you yes. actually were inside the Barney outfit. I wore the. Co I wore the costume. <laughs> it was awesome. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And they filmed it at Katie's studio. This episode, so I was right next door, and I thought, "This is my big break, man." You know, I'm going to be Barney. Barney. I mean. And I'll take hey, anything at this point. Dude, <laughs> money is money. Cash is check. I mean, I mean. Yeah. Everyone loves Barney. <laughs> no, they actually just released a documentary that there's like, true. I, hate, I hate Barney. Or like, why yeah. do you hate me? Or something like that. And yeah. uh, when, by the way, my the, my daughter saw that walk by and they're like, why do people hate Barney? I go, don't, don't sing the song. Don't sing. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't sing it. And I'm not going to do, please don't do it now. Because I'm not yeah. going to do it to our listeners. Because once it gets in the ear, it's an earworm. Yes. And it's, it's over. done. It's over. Yeah. So that's why. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. That's an so amazing that, story. Yeah. So that didn't work out. Um, but I kept pursuing it and I was going on commercials. I was in a commercial for Wingstop with a chimpanzee and Troy Aikman. I thought maybe I can do this. And I only did like two or three of those. And then I got the call that I got a part on Scrubs, the TV show. So I fly yeah. to LA and I'm in the episode, my choosiest choice of all. I had a bunch of lines and I was like, well, this is it. You know, because that day I was coming in, Michael J. Fox was leaving. So I got to meet Michael J. Fox and it was, you know, I was in Hollywood. I mean, I was in Hollywood on that day, those, on those two days. And then, you know, the pumpkin happens and I fly back to Dallas, Texas. And then here I am bartending when my episode airs in a bar, bartending, watching my episode. And I was like, I don't think this is working out. Um, <laughs> I don't think this is, I don't know what's <laughs> happening, but it's not really working out. There's a disconnect here. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I'm a part of the Okra House Theater here in Dallas, which has Matthew Posey as the artistic director, and he's been in 
Magnificent Seven, No Country for Old Men, uh, True Lies, with Pierce Brosnan on Sons. And I've been there for 10 years and a little more satisfying. There's no auditions. Matt calls you on the phone and says, do you want to be in this next play? I'm writing it for you. And I took that to heart and I was like, wait a minute. I, I'm surrounded by actors. I'm surrounded by people who have cameras. What if I write for everyone and we just make this film? And so that's how that part started. Wow, man. So I have to, I always like asking this question because there's so many people listening who are in your boat because not everyone's in LA or New York or Atlanta or in any of these big hubs where a lot of production's going on. I wasn't, when I started, I was in Miami. You know, and I remember I would have killed for a podcast like this. I mean, killed to have this kind of information back oh, in the man. 90s. Are you kidding? Um, I mean, the closest thing I got was Entourage and Project Greenlight. This is true. <laughs> All that is so true. I think we're the same age. Yeah, we're the same. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we've, we're same vintage, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the same vintage, as they say. Yep. So it, it, it's pretty remarkable. But the question I have is, as especially as an actor, I'm assuming there was a couple of no's along the way. How did you, or did you not get any no's? Oh, no, my gosh. And it was all no's. <laughs> I, was I mean, <laughs> I drove to Austin. I, I had bartended one night and my agent was like, she was just sending me on stuff and God bless her soul. She was doing the best she could. And I drove, I left at four in the morning from the bar, drove to Austin, Texas. I had an 8 a.m. call time. I walked in and I was the only non-Asian male in the room. And there was like 50 in there. It was for a Dell commercial. And she didn't read the notes. And it was basically, they were looking for an oh. Asian male for this. And so like, I didn't just take no's. So I went and I said, hey, can I still read? Cause I was thinking to myself, either I'm not getting this at all, or I'm 100% getting this role. <laughs> and so I've always, yeah, I've always looked at it like that. I've always looked at it like there's something on the other side. And the thing is, I mean, you can't learn that stuff in a book. You can't learn how to, how to have thick skin like that. Or to just be like, look at yourself in the mirror, be like, I am crazy for doing this. But so is everyone else who has made it before me. They just kept up with the crazy. And so I just kept up. I thought I was going to make it in my 20s when I had a full head of hair and no gray in my beard. But, you know, instead, I made my first feature when I was 42 years old. Um, and you know what? I'll take it, you know, because I'm making my next one when I'm 45. So that's a pretty good. The windows are getting closer, I think. Hey, listen, brother, I made my first feature at 41. So I, you know, and I could have done it. And there's a whole conversation about how, why I didn't do it before. But but yeah, I mean, it's OK. It is what it is. The, the, the question I was going to ask you is how do you keep going? Like when you keep getting the nose and I think you answered it to a certain extent, like, yeah, you had a positive attitude about the whole thing. Just like I, there's something on the other end. I got to keep just keep going. Yeah, for me, it's like cinema and film and just the that's why, you know, in the meantime, I make a lot of uh, music videos and I just I have to create. I don't mean I don't know what that is. I wish there was times I would tell my wife, I wish there was a switch. I could turn it off. I could turn oh. off. The, I don't want to create switch. But you know what? I can't, you know, and you just got to mm -hmm. deal with it, you know, and luckily, you know, for me is like having your podcast and your book and people who are putting things out. It's you. Now you can hear it from others is you're not necessarily failing. You just haven't hit the right stride or it hasn't. You know, a lot of it is hard work, but a lot of it's luck, a lot of it's timing. Um, and if you're going to make it, you just you're, you're going to have to measure all those things. And hopefully it all hits at some point, you know. Right. And it's just this constant, just 
relentlessness of, of you have to keep going. Trust me, dude, like I try to quit so many times, so many times I try to quit and I couldn't. I just, I'd always come back to it in one way, shape or form. And uh, it is, it is the beautiful illness, as I call it. It is, a, it's an illness that yes. you just can't get rid of. You just can't get rid of it. <laughs> I mean, I don't have a film at the Dallas International Film Festival, but I'm there because I have to be around it. I have to sit there and watch all the shorts and I have to talk to these filmmakers. And I, I love Q&As. I love film festivals. And mm -hmm. so that's one of the reasons I love making films is like, man, what's the our last film all around the world? And I was like, oh, great. Another addiction with film. Great. Now I love film festivals. You know, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean, I I uh, I used I used to go to so many of them. I was just a guy, just can't anymore. I'm like exhausted. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I agree. But I feel you, brother. No, I, I I feel you, especially that first few times you walk the red carpet, you see an audience with your film in it, and and then you see other cool films. And have you been to Sundance yet? I have not been to Sundance. I've been to South it's, by Southwest, but yeah, go to Sundance, man. It is just it is a magical experience just to go to Park City and just be there. It's it's probably one of the most magical. I made a movie there uh, yeah. because of that, because it's just such a magical uh, experience as a film festival. Yeah. But anyway, I think, I think there's that crazy part of me. It's like, I think that I'm going to go because I'm going to go with a film, but maybe I won't. So I'm going to keep I'm going to keep hacking at it just for a half a second. And hopefully I can bring one there. <laughs> That's, I, I heard that a couple of times. I know, um, I know. But uh, just in case, uh, <laughs> you might nice enjoy to check it, it out. Yeah. While you can still go up that hill. <laughs> it's true because trust me it ain't easy brother yeah, <laughs> even, in my, even in my 30s it was not easy because you you're so damn high up you can't breathe but that's a whole oh, other conversation I love um it. so tell me about your film the world won't break yeah so uh this world won't break i was writing several things and I was trying to find something on Netflix one night. My wife was like, what are you doing? I spent like two hours trying to find trailers, you know? And she's like, we haven't even watched anything yet. And it's almost 11. And she goes, what do you want to see? And I was like, well, I kind of want to see a, a movie about a country singer who doesn't make it. Like we see the ones of the guy who falls from grace and he gets old and, you know, or we see the young guy who makes it and he sells out the stadium. And I was like, how about the 40 year old who doesn't make it? Like, what do you do at that point when you're, and I was writing from my own personal like struggle, oh. <laughs> but all my friends here in Dallas, Texas, you know, in Austin, they're all country singers. And I, I'm into friend rock, which I go to all my friend shows. And I was like, man, I have a friend who one night at a bar, we were having a whiskey and he was like telling me the exact same thing. He's like, what do I do? He's like, I can't quit. Cause I've, I've just put in 25 years of my life. Um, but I can't really keep going because I'm getting old and it's not happening. And thirdly, what do I do? <laughs> He's been a, you know, a singer songwriter his whole entire life. And it, you know, it does pay the bills, but no, it's not on the marquee. He's not selling out the big shows. And I was like, oh, I can write that because I was in, you know, I hustle here you know, as a bartender and also in the photo and video world. So I was like starting to put it all together and realize, well, I got the people I got the actors from our um, our acting studio. I have all these great locations that I bartend at and I can start calling on favors for the last 15, 20 years. I've been in the photo video world and staying late and taking care of things. And so I just started asking for in kinds for favors. And so when you see my actual budget, it's like three hundred and eighty six thousand dollars. But when you take out all the in kinds, 
is 36K because I got locations that were five, six grand a day. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. The main guy who owns Bolt Productions called me one day. He goes, hey, I want to help out with your movie. And I was thinking, you know, monetarily with money. And he goes, put a list together. And whenever you need that stuff, it's yours. So I mean, I had a grip truck. You know, I had all of this stuff and I had all of these talented people who were sort of in the same boat as me as like, they want to create something commercial works great to pay your rent and to pay your bills. But like, it's not feeding that thing inside you. That's not why everyone went to film school. I didn't go to film school. This one won't break was my film school, man is insane. So like that was the whole premise of how to get started. And I had one guy, he was going to give me $25,000, $35,000, excuse me. So that was going to be 60 grand ish. And I was like, we can do this. I can pay everybody just a little bit. We can shoot this, you know, in 15 days. And I drove to go pick up the money. He takes me out to lunch and basically tells me, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do, I'm going to put this money somewhere else. He's like, sorry, this guy's a multimillionaire. And I didn't know what to do. I, I literally freaked out. I paid for our meal, tried to leave, then realized he drove us there. So I had to ride back in the car with this guy. I get in my car. As I drive off, I throw up because I'm so freaked out because we're supposed to start in three days. I run a red light. I call everyone and I say, hey, guys, it's off. We're not going to film the movie. And it got quiet. And then one person goes, well, I'll see you in a couple of days. And everyone said, I'll see you in a couple of days, Josh. We have to make this film. And uh, I had been, I had put so much work into it because I didn't have the money for locations, but I would drive every weekend and scout and take pictures of time of day. I would go to thrift stores. I got all the clothes. And whenever we would start shooting, I would actually be the wardrobe guy. There's a car in the movie that is really prominent in the film. And I would have to drive that to set, get an Uber, go back, get the grip truck, drive back on the way, grab coffee and breakfast stuff and bring snacks. And I had to do that for the entirety of the film. I mean, I was sleeping two or three hours, but man, I was getting to do it. And I don't know what that thing that clicks inside my head. I'm sure other creatives is like, dude, you're on fire. You're at a 10. And there's no stopping you at that point because it's like that thing. If you stop, you feel like it's all going to go away. So that was how I got it going. Man, you see, and that's the insanity. Um, it's an insanity that we go through. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the crazy part, we were going to start six months before that. And we had a play that night and Matthew Posey left the theater. Uh, he's, he, he's a, one of the leads in the movie. And someone opened up his door and shot him there six times and shot him in the face. And so I'm getting phone calls at three in the morning of everyone saying, were you with Matt? Are you with Matt? I'm like, what, what happened? They said, Josh, he's in Baylor. They're not sure if he's going to make it. And he, it knocked out all but six of his teeth. He almost lost his tongue. And I'm, he's one of my best friends and I'm freaked out, but I'm also like, man, I'm never going to be able to create anything. Matt's, you know, he's the creative director of this theater. Uh, yeah. So that was how it all started. So just the fact that that happened and we kept rallying around is pr pretty insane because everything after that wasn't shots in the face. 
but it felt like it at times. It felt like shots in the face of all the things that were falling apart. You know, it's really interesting because you did a semi-autobiographical film. Um, my first movie was a little bit like that, but the second movie was definitely semi-autobiographical, which was on the corner of Ego and Desire. And it's, it, they, I think all three films talk about the same thing, which is not only chasing your dream, but I think as you get older, you start to define success differently. Hmm. What you define success as a 20-year-old is not how you define success as a 40-year-old. Is that a fair statement? Oh, 100%. Right, exactly. So the, the, the character in your film, he's like, I'm 40, or that a friend of yours at the bar is like, I'm 40, it's not working out, but I'm making a living, doing some singing, songwriting, but you know, I'm, not, I'm not a huge star. But the, the question is, do you need to be a huge star? Right. And that's, that's the point. And the cool thing about it is the guy at the bar who was telling me that story is the guy who plays the lead in my movie. He had never been in the movie uh, before, but his music is so I was like, how does not how does the world not hear your music? So it's kind of a, a little bonus there that like I got to like put him on the big screen on the biggest screens. And yeah, I was like, he's great. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's Greg's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. Uh, so it was kind of like, it was, a, it was a really cool moment for me and him to be like, we both just did it. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> right. We both, yeah. we both kind of uh, fulfilled a dream together yeah. uh, in a different way. We helped each other fulfill our dreams in, in a certain way. But I think, and everyone listening, I think it's something that really needs to be asked. Because I know a lot of people listening, like yourself and other people, you know, before you made your movie, were figuring out, man, it's not working for me. Man, it's, I'm not making it. I'm not, I'm not Chris Nolan yet. I'm not David Fincher yet. I'm not Tarantino yet. And I'm, and I always said, like, you're not going to be those guys. Those guys are those guys. You've got to be the best of you that you can be. And at the end of the day, there's only going to be a handful of people who are going to get the opportunity to work in those, in those sandboxes. Oh, for sure. It's just, it's just numbers. The amount of people who want to do it, and then there's out of those people who want to do it, how many are really even capable if given the opportunity to do it? You're talking you know about what? the top of the top. Yeah, and I, I pretty much saw that sandbox and knew I couldn't get in it yet, so I brought my own sand and poured it beside right. it, and I played with like I was playing with these guys in the sandbox, and that can give you a lot of like... When you're at a film festival and your movie trailer is playing before like blockbuster movies, because they'll do that, they'll program things like that. Yeah, sure, like sure, the, sure. And I was one of the very few people um, to make a trailer pre going to festivals, like a really good trailer, because we were at the Glasgow Film Festival and our movie played the theater, the, the, the trailer played before every single event and every single movie. And that, that alone will keep you going, just seeing. Right. Exactly, it's just how you define your success. And if you can make a living doing what you're loving to do and you really just love the process and not the outcome, that's when you, because it sounds like you enjoy, I mean, I know it was, we'll go deeper in the headaches of <laughs> the insanity of this film, but at the end of the day, you enjoyed this process. And did, and did you have an outcome? I mean, we all dream of getting into a big festival or we get, you know, getting found or getting, you know, picked out of the crowd, all the 90s stories that we heard. But were you yeah. happy? Were you happy at the end of this? Were you oh. like, you know what? I'm good. I'm solid. If it doesn't make a billion dollars, I'm okay with that. I'm going to make my next movie. Is that kind of yeah, the vibe? Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, I mean, for sure, for me, it was like, I always dream really big. Like I always say sure. like, go ahead and practice your Academy Award speech in the mirror because you never know. And it can give you a little bit of, but you know, in the back of your head that you're crazy and that's insane. So that we, um, our opening red carpet event was actually at the Dallas International Film Festival. And we ended up winning best feature. That was our first showing. And nice. then we, we got into the Australia Film Festival. Um, we got into the Glasgow Film Festival and I got to travel to all these places and a lot of the places put us up in really nice places. And so the fact that it was really cool because overseas, a Texas film about a country singer is just like, it's so huge. foreign. Huge. It's huge. Yeah. So the Q&As and the people coming up to us, you know, when you play a movie like that here in Dallas, Texas, it's like, well, open the front door, bro. You know what I mean? <laughs> Over there. It was like Australia, especially that was a, that was a trip for sure. So, you know, and I don't know if we talk about what happened with the film after that, or if we get we into that later. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. I can, I, I can talk about that. Uh, but yeah, it, you're right. And it's, you see, but that's a different level. That's probably something you didn't expect. No. Right. You didn't expect Not that. that kind no. Of not that that thing so it's it's just interesting the way the universe works that's all it's just really fascinating how it works and and again for every all the young the youngins listening you know from a couple of old fogies who've been doing this for <laughs> a few years um you know you will redefine success for yourself you know and and it's not giving up on the dream you always always hope and you keep going but if you just enjoy the process and not attach yourself so much to the, that's where all the pain comes in is when you attach your out outcome that you're like, mm. I'm doing this movie to get discovered or to blow up mm. or to yeah. make money. You're done. You're done. You got to like, I love doing what I'm doing and I don't care what happens at the end. I hope and let's position ourselves the best we can be successful. But at the end of the day, it's still just about the process. And that's, yeah. it's kind of like a painter that way. Like, you know, painters generally don't paint to like, I'm going to sell this for a hundred million dollars. Like Van Gogh just painted and never made a dime. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I was telling my wife just that I'm going to touch on that. I was telling my wife, she was, we're talking about, she goes, what do you want out of the film? Besides for it to blow up and the soundtrack to blow up and we become the new once, you know, that's, you know, we, we win an Academy Award, sure. but you know, I said, what I really want is a kid in a German library or an old bookstore to pull off the shelf the this world won't break dvd watch it and his mind be blown that there's a place like that it happened alex someone emailed me and talked about the film he saw in somewhere in northern canada this kid and he talked about this fictional place called deep ellum in dallas texas where this guy plays country music and he wrote the greatest review i think he was like 16 or 17. and i was like man you know i I didn't conjure up the the fame and the money, but I conjured up a kid pulling off a DVD in another in another country. So that was really special to me. I was like, okay, that's that's a way of me. I feel like I made it right. I felt like I actually was at our library and I was scanning it to see if anybody checked it out, and it was like this role won't break, and then Thor. And I was like, I'm cool with that. I'm okay with that. If you remember what you said at the beginning of our conversation is when dad, your dad saw It's a Wonderful Life and how it made him feel. And you're like, I want to do that. Well, yeah. you just succeeded. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you won. You won. Yeah. You, you won. That, 100%. Was the goal. that was the goal you wanted. You wanted to affect people with your work. And you did that not only once, probably multiple times, but that's the one that, you, that picked out. So 
that I just I want people to listen to that, that like it's not always about the Oscar. <laughs> it's not always because I've talked to Oscar winners and it's not all it's cracked up to be. Don't get me wrong. We all want one. And I wouldn't mind one. I put it right behind me right. on this. <laughs> I'd put it right there. It'd be right like, there. Of course. Yeah, exactly. It'd but, be funny if that kid, it'd be funny if that kid's name was Oscar, but it wasn't. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> when you tell the story again, his, the name's the kid's okay. name's Oscar. I know. Yeah. These are these are gold it. gold tips. Go cool, yeah. Gold <laughs> but um, all right. So there was a few other things that happened in this this film. Oh, um, yes. Uh, before before we get into the, the 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 really crazy story that happened to you, I always like asking this question: What is the worst day on production? Yeah. And how did you overcome it? And not not pre-production, not post-production. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. production. What was like that crazy yeah. day you felt the whole world was coming crashing down? Yeah, well, you? I'll 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 tell three real quick. Um, day one, I'm going into the oldest gymnasium in the world with the oldest owner. It's in Dallas, Texas. Um, the guy's 80, he just turned 90, and I had a monologue for him. And we're I'm carrying all this gear up. I mean, huge C-stands and rollers and huge lights. And he he smoke he smokes cigars and he he goes, Josh, come in here. And I was like, Yeah, he goes. I'm not doing the monologue. And he left. And I was like, what? And he comes back in. He goes, you can still shoot here. I'm just not doing it. And he was the chunk of the, of that scene. He was the old guy. And so I walked in and I said, here's the deal, Doug. Can you just say this one line, which is a line that you hear two more times in the movie. So I had to have that one line. And he looked at me, I said, it'll be a close up." And he goes, I'll do it. And he does the line. And so, so what, that was the worst thing that was happening on day one. And then we still, we irked out of it. Okay, day two, I thought it'd be a good idea to have these boat scenes where he's fishing on, these, on this lake. Well, I don't really have a huge crew, but we had three boats and it was like, 90 mile an hour winds and i said action all of our boats go away and they all go in different directions and i was like what am i thinking it's my first feature film i'm gonna shoot on a lake i don't know what i'm doing i don't know what i'm doing and there was self-doubt wow and all of a sudden uh two boats come over it was a friend of mine she worked for the rowing team and she was like do you guys need help driving some of this around so she helped out and the rest of the day was stellar was stellar um i guess you know the third one would have to be when we had just picked up the new el camino okay so the day before we shoot our el, well, like a week the el camino in the car the engine blew and i was like the whole point of this is this guy doesn't have a truck he has an el camino you know it's all it's old and rusty we put the word out like we need a El Camino. What a, what a crazy thing to ask for in the world. And somebody on Facebook said their mom's new husband had one in the garage, but it was old, rusty, and brown. I was like, what? So I haul over there and grab this thing. He gives it to me for the whole entire shoot. Just gives me the keys as y'all have fun. And as I'm driving down the road, I'm like, dude, I'm batting a thousand, even though I'm kind of whiffing in the first two pitches. And then as I'm going up the hill, smoke starts coming out of this El Camino, but it was just the water pump and we fixed it in the, in the cars in the whole movie. So you know, I could I'm, go on and go on and go every on. Every day there was every, something, I'm sure. Every, you know, Alex, every single day something was going on and something happened on our last week and a half, our last week and a half of filming. It was perfect. And I mean, I'm telling you, it was like summer camp. 
and we all had a blast. We were pulling rabbits out of the hat, special effects that we were doing in camera. Everything was happening, and we ended on that high note. But the first half, I mean, it was every single day something was happening that I had to fix on the fly for sure. I mean, going back to the lake shots, uh, did you not see Jaws? Uh, yeah. <laughs> did right? you not hear what Spielberg said? <laughs> Don't I shoot know. on the water. <laughs> at least, Lisa, listen to Steven at least, right? I mean, it's like I, I, a funny side story. Uh, I was talking to uh, Kevin Reynolds who did Waterworld and he called up Steven yeah, and he's like, what should I do? He's like, don't shoot in the ocean. He's like, nah, I'll be fine. <laughs> hey, I got a soft spot in my heart for Waterworld. I love Waterworld. I listen, Peter, who wrote it, who's a, he's a good friend of mine who's on the show and Kevin was on the show and, and it's oddly one of the most successful IPs the Universal's ever had. Oh, wow. I didn't know if you know that or not. They have no. made so much money off of Waterworld. Oh, well, good for them then. I was feeling bad for a little bit. No, no, no. Everyone always like, oh, Waterworld's like the yeah. one. No. It no. Is, it makes, you know what? I don't know if you've been to Universal Studios in, in Florida or in, in LA, but, Florida, there's a yeah. water, but there's a Waterworld ride that's oh, still no. there. Oh, whoa. 20 years later, they still yeah. are there and they're still one of the most popular attractions. And they've made so much money with the Waterworld IP. It's insane. It's That's insane. another thing. A disaster turns into a profit. I love, I love uh, that story. <laughs> I love it. That's positivity now, for me. Now, uh, you mentioned to me in your email pitch that you there's something happened at the Alamo Draft House. What, what yeah. happened to you, sir? Okay, so, you know, making the film was insane we you know we shot for 26 days oh wow over over a year and a half because i had to keep giving the gear back and luckily greg didn't accidentally shave his beard off or roxana didn't get pregnant like i was i mean i was walking on thin ice by doing that i was just every day thankful that we were getting another day and um and they always say like you know don't have a lot of locations when you have no money for a film we shot in 42 locations um, that's why it has the grand, the grandness of it. But I was only sleeping three hours a night. And then when I was given some uh, dailies to some different programmers around um, South by Southwest wanted it. This is the previous year and we were still filming. We still had, you know, half the movie to film. So I was rushing, rushing, rushing. And my son, who's now 21, he co-edited the film with me. And so he would work on it when I was at work Then I would work on it with him when I got home and I was still working a full-time job and getting this film. And I was driving back and forth to Austin to getting the color done because it wasn't working out and I wasn't sleeping. It was like a, it was a deadline to have the DCP in the hands of the festivals. And it was before, you know, the next morning before seven. Well, I stayed up for like three days maybe and got the DCP and the Blu-ray, which was a gift actually from Diff. They provided that if you got another festival, they would provide you a DCP and a Blu-ray, which was huge. And I'm driving back from Austin. I drop it off in the mailbox for the programmer to upload it. And I eat some breakfast and my wife goes, we should go celebrate. You just, your film is done. You're, you're done. It, it's 
blocked. It's a DCP. And so we go to the Alamo draft house and we're watching a movie. And I'm like, why are the trailers all vignetted? I couldn't figure out why they were vignetted. And I started to like sweat and I started and I, for half a second, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know I was in a movie theater. And the lady asked if I wanted a margarita. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I said, no. And my wife turned to me like, whoa, he must not be feeling good if he just turned out a margarita. And I stood up. I walked out into the Alamo Draft House parking lot. We're there. It's like a 1030 showing or 11 a.m. showing because we had, you know, we had just finished. And I'm walking around and I know I need to I need to, I need to sit down, but I can't sit down. And all of a sudden I can't feel my left hand. And then pain starts going up and I can't really, my heart, I can't really control it. And I'm walking So my wife has no idea where I'm at. Well, she follows me in the parking lot. I walk in the Alamo draft house. I'm on my hands and knees. And I look at the guy, Jorge, who I've known he's at the front desk and I'm trying to say, call an ambulance. Cause I'm dying. I mean, I, I, this is it. And then my last thought, when I was trying to see ambulance, I realized, well, I'm not going to be in the memorandum. I'm not going to be in the memory of in my own film. And I just go, I start to pass out and I go, I think that's pretty peaceful. And I, I'm out. I wake up and my wife's over me. She's on the phone. She's called our doctor and she goes, I could hear, I'm coming back in. Like it was just a ringing noise. And he goes, she goes, you're having a panic attack. It's not a heart attack. And what happened was, all the adrenaline that I had built up over those past months and weeks and the year prior making the film, when I dropped off the DCP, my brain goes, and we're done. And we can't go any farther. We're done. We've completed job well done. And then my body goes, see ya. And I, I, if you look up Wikipedia, a panic attack, it says symptoms and it says, it feels like you're going to die. And I, I had to like go to a, uh, a functional medicine doctor for a long, long time and build up my immune system. And he said, you just have to take it easy, man. He goes, you will have a heart attack uh, and it won't be a panic attack. So yeah, I almost died on the Alamo, which would have been a perfect place. If you really think <laughs> it. I mean, come on, right? Right smack dab in the middle of it, too. I was on, I was right there. I mean, I, was I mean, if you're watching the movie of your life, Josh, uh, <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, this is pretty like it's like the it's the point of uh, what is it? The the point of no, not a point of no return, but the all all is lost moment in right. the screenplay in the movie. You're like, oh, he's made the movie. Wait, he's dying at the movie theater. Right. <laughs> His movie all is lost. That is the much. I mean, you can't. It's so poetic. <laughs> yes, that's how, and that's how Bob Fosse died. I found out at a premiere. He had worked so hard, and he dropped dead in front of the marquee. I was like, poetic. That's, that's poetic for that, sure. I mean, it's poetic. Well, I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad it uh, worked out. Uh, that yes, you're still here same. with us. Uh, I just so you know, uh, just as a, as a side note, I, my first film, Broken. Uh, I had a panic attack on set. Oh, I had a full blown panic attack. That I had to actually go. I'm like, guys, I got give me a minute. I went to the bathroom and I had to I'm like, give me like 10 or 15 minutes, guys, set up the lights or something like that, because it was so overwhelming to me because I had never done it. There was just it was just something. It was it was a huge project for me at yeah. the time. It was all this stuff. And I 
I literally just started to try to meditate and breathing in and out. And there was nobody mm -hmm. there to help me. And I was just like, yeah, it sucks, dude. I've had probably two, three panic attacks all based yeah. around the film industry. <laughs> I have two. One was recently, but the cool thing is I tell myself, you know, I have a lot of methods now to where I'm like, you're not having a panic attack. You just need to chill out for a little bit. And so it's once you've had it, but man, it's you've never had it. So they say most ambulance rides, people thinking they're having a heart attack. It's a panic attack. And by the time they get them to the uh, hospital, they're like, oh, I think I'm good. Because they give yeah. them the IV and they calm them down. But everyone thinks it's a panic, uh, a heart attack for sure, or stroke or something. Good Lord. I mean, that's an amazing story. But well, I'm glad you made it, brother. I'm glad you made it. I and that's a, a warning for all filmmakers. You, you know, you're yeah. still human. Yeah. And there's a lot of stress, especially when trying to get a movie together and things happen. And I, how many heart attacks and panic attacks has, has happened to filmmakers in the course of the last 50 or 100 years? Yeah, all movies cost something. And it may be your it might be you. It might be you. Now, how did you get now? How did you because you've mentioned a couple times you've read my book? How did you decide yeah. to go with distribution? Um, yeah, so look, the timing of your book was great because we were coming back from Scotland with the movie, the Glasgow Film Festival, and we were things were starting to really happen with the buzz of the film. And we funny enough. We were talking to Alamo Draft House, and they were going to put it in all the Alamo Draft Houses, uh, like a little short deal, and have Greg play like a little, and we could sell the merchandise, the soundtrack. Um, so we're, I was working that out when we were in Scotland. I'm on the airplane, and we had gotten word that South by Southwest, even though we weren't in the competition, what they were like, you know, maybe we can work something out where we can premiere it in Austin. You can do a festival thing and uh all of our phones went off and said south by southwest cancels uh it was, yep. it was, this, this was like early 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 COVID, and by the time we landed everything all the other film festivals we were a part of everything else shut yeah. down so i'm back to i mean in theaters i mean alamo draft house especially closed its doors and so it was like oh well, I just made a movie. What would I do with this? And I, you know, I am still thankful that we were able to at least do that huge run of festivals, get the movie in the can. Cause I knew a lot of friends who like were shooting a film with, had like kids in it, uh, you know, the age of 10 and then wow. COVID hit. dude gone, gone. Cause those kids, they don't look the same. They have half a movie in a can. I mean, it breaks my heart to think about it. A lot of people lost a lot of things. We were very, lucky that we still walked away you know um so i'm you know i'm depressed and i'm like okay well i'm just gonna make the dvd myself and so i figured out how to do all that um i told people if you want a signed autograph i'm only doing 100 if you want a signed autograph of the dvd it's 30 bucks and we threw in some stickers we sold out like that three grand i have three grand i make a thousand dvds so they're in my garage and i'm like well what do i do with this and I did the whole like stuff before and all the different menus and because of COVID and because of so many film festivals that shut down that didn't have films come out, they're cut in half. What movies are for distribution content? Everyone's at home. Everyone needs to be watching something and people are running out of content. Well, my phone starts to blow up like literally. 
And I was talking to a lot of different uh, distribution companies. I mean, some, and you know, I love how you talk the truth about how some of these are predatory. (laughs) And I mean, Alex, it was so sickening, you know, especially like I've almost died. You know, I'm not going to give you my film. I'm not going to give you this. Um, You know, it was like 40 45% 45% for 20 years. No oh. G. Uh, yeah. Oh. And then like, but we're going to redo your posters. I don't know if you've seen our poster, our guy who did our poster did a phenomenal job. Yeah. It's gorgeous. And it's like, they wanted to redo the poster, redo the trailer. And they just wanted to spend the money that would be coming in. And then we got a phone call for the one that we went to with, who was, a, can I say their name on that? Uh, up, up to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So uh, this little company called passion river films uh, reached out. And I looked them up and they worked with libraries. I was like, okay, they don't really do theatrical, but they were like, you can keep your theatrical and you keep DVD rights and all these things. And I was like, this sounds too good to be true. So I reached out to Ben and uh, Jim Cummins over at Vanishing Angle and uh, Ben Wozner, I think is Ben's name. I could be saying that wrong. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, do you know about Passion River? And they go, and Jim was like, yeah, Thunder Road, they have uh, Amazon and DVD sales. We signed out with them. Because they're phenomenal. And they'll put it in every library in North America, including Canada and the U.S. And so they sent over the paperwork and they like, we love the trailer. We love. And it was a two year deal. I'll say it. It was a two year deal for 20 percent. I mean, and they're going to and they're going to put it into every library and they're going to buy all. So all the DVDs that I had. They said, we'll sell those for you and we'll take a percentage by putting them into libraries. And so some libraries. If it's a big enough Metroplex, they'll buy 10, 15. Uh, and so then they set us up and worked so well with this. And they put us through, um, obviously, we did the TVOD, the transactional. And then um, I still had theatrical rights. So I was going around once COVID was over with. And we were showing, we're selling out here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, 600-seat theaters. And that's just for us. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And then they said, hey, there's this new thing called Tubi. Um, <laughs> he goes, and this is pretty, this is, they're pretty new. This is 2020, the beginning of 2020 and Tubi needed content and they loved our runtime. They loved that it was country music and that they could advertise with like Chevy, Miller Lite, Bud Light. Oh, Wrangler. It's yeah. perfect. So as of now, besides the DVD sales, which sounds crazy, Tubi's right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, and you talk about it on the show. And, you know, I remember like, I always felt like I was chasing daylight when you would talk on the show because you were speaking the truth. And then a month later, you know, Tug is gone. I'm like, oh, you know, that was my plan. And it's just like something pops and something goes away. And you were talking about Avod. And I remember you talking about it. And I was like, what? Advertising video on demand. There's, I feel like I'm going to make it on Amazon and iTunes. And, Dude, iTunes <laughs> is the lowest. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> you know, then we got some good Vimeo stuff because like in Australia, that's one of their platforms is Vimeo for uh, for certain films that aren't rated. And yeah, so I 100% as of today own the film VOD, DVD, theatrical. I, ha- I own 100% of the of the rights of the oh, film. That's amazing. And we had that's- a great, we had a great, probably the best kind of run you can do like right now it's on Amazon prime for free and 
we're going to keep it on there because it's a nice calling card because we're making our new film for people to like go watch that and watch it for free. Um, and then once the next film will happen, I'll take that down and you can rent it. And then I'll start to build a collection, you know, Blu-ray DVD and, uh, and have it through our own website. Dude. Um, I'm so happy that the book helped you with that. And, and, and the show helped you with a lot of this stuff that you're talking 100%. about. 100%. Um, I always that, tell people the, the three things that every, if you're, if you're a filmmaker or if you want to be a filmmaker, or if you're needing to go level up in a different area, the three books that you have to have on your shelf is indie film house, a uh, film entrepreneur, um, uh, rebel without a crew. Yeah. And then I really like Dan's book, the submersive guide oh, to filmmaking. Yeah. Oh yeah, and FYI, people should get your audio book because it's really it's really stellar. Uh, it was really a, you, a great lesson too. And for some reason, I learned a lot of new things. I just re-listened to it on a drive, and I was like, "Oh, that's really that's really solid." If you listen to it, because sometimes I've, I read and I kind of blank out. So I listened to it and then went back and thumbed thumbnailed some stuff in your book for the next film uh, that's coming up that I didn't do in the last one. And then the audiobook too also has uh, extra stuff that I just stop yes. in the middle and I'll just start like hey, real quick. Oh yeah, 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 great. <laughs> it's like Gary V. I love it. Uh, that's where I got it from. Gary did. I'm oh, like, yeah. oh, is, I listen oh, to Gary V's books. I'm like, oh, I'm doing that when I have an when I do an audiobook. That's awesome. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It, it's 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 great. No, I, I'm I'm so happy that that is the case, and that's a real great success story in distribution because I'm sure you were getting predatory stuff oh. left and right and all over the place. It's make yeah making just it's 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 really gross and it's you know for a filmmaker I think if maybe if I wouldn't have almost died I would have just been exhausted enough to give it away oh, and yeah. I think what happened was I was exhausted I almost died then I was pissed and I was like I'm taking this thing I'm alive again <laughs> I've come back <laughs> I've come back and I will sell these DVDs I will say that's that's genius uh that's really a genius way of looking about it yeah, libraries are a big thing that people don't don't understand you know also cruise lines and airlines too for certain movies you can get it. There's so many revenue streams. So I heard your airline. Many, yeah, so many revenue streams that you can create uh, and go after distributors who just focus on those kind of things and getting you into those places. Yeah, and because of your show, uh, you someone was talking about WeFunder, and so we uh, we're going that route for the next film, and then mm -hmm. we uh, got Film Independent to support us as a 5013C. People can do tax write-offs, so it's like. I've learned so much in the past and then like with your show and having people on, I'll, I'll listen to an hour and then like five minutes, someone says something that like changes the trajectory uh, of the film, you know, of, of the next film. I'm like, I'm listening to it. I'm like, I get it. You know, I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. And then, Ooh, I haven't been there. Ooh, I write that down. <laughs> and then it really, you know, there's so many things at our fingertips that I think, you know, if people really want to do it, you can do it. It's out there for you. And so the, the film has been a financial success for you. I mean, like I said, I'm not like uh, I'm not rich and famous, but we're we're in the black. You're in the black. Good. You've, you've yeah, made yeah. your money back. You made your money back. Yeah. I mean, like you are I, in the top one person, yeah. one per one, one, one percent of filmmakers. And the cool thing about it also is like it's still I still get checks and it pays for all the stuff that we have on uh, websites, it pays for our CPA, our LLC. It's like, you know, the film still. And once we get the next film made, we're really going to push 
this world won't break again because a lot of people didn't get to see it right because of uh just all the content and we can repackage that it's it's forever you know yeah i mean you could put that movie out right you could re-release it right now and oh, people yeah we're, gonna do, yeah we're doing blu-ray and then vinyl we're on a waiting list for a vinyl record so we're gonna, we're gonna package it with the blu-ray uh because you said on the, one of the beginning of one of your shows you says uh the niches and is in the riches. The riches, oh, the riches are in the niches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The niches. Yeah, and, and you have so the, that you're supporting. Yeah, and then the next film is about an Orthodox monk on the coast of Texas. So it doesn't get more niche than that, you know. It's, yes, I'm, the name of that one is El Tonto, uh, El Tonto Cristo, right? Yeah, El Tonto por Cristo. Yes, so that means uh, basically translated. If uh, I am, I am Latino, so yeah. uh, the fool for. Christ, essentially. Yes, that's exactly right. It's, it's like, a, a, you know, it's not a Robert Eggers style film. Uh, it's not scary, but it's going to have that vibe. It'll have a, a, a neat, we're shooting in black and white. I'm doing, the, I'm breaking all the rules. I've already broken rules. So we're shooting in 1661 and black and white. Just, uh, just uh, but you, you're shooting color and taking the cut, the color. I mean, the, the black and white later, right? Or are you shooting yeah, black yeah, and white? Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Keep, keep the color just in case. Oh, believe me. Yeah. <laughs> technology, technology, we're using the, the newest red. And it's like, with this technology, if we get in there, we're like, we're like uh oh, it's like, just, okay. just yeah. keep the color for distribution, just in case. Yeah. So like, we love the film, but you shot it in black and white. And I can't sell it. Uh, yeah. And you've got no stars in it. So it's going to be a tough sell. Then you're like, well, you know what? I could just turn that color right back on for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's what it takes. We got um, some B list. We have B list stars this time. Well, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. Always, always get a face, man. Always get a face yeah, yeah. if you can. Um, Josh, man, I, I appreciate you coming on the show, man, telling us yeah. your insane story. I'll ask you a few questions. I ask all my yep. guests. Cool. What advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today? You know, I think it's uh, really quickly. It's like a Chinese parable that I, I once heard uh, about a, a man. They had a beet farm and the beets all dried up. And the kid was like, what are we going to do? We're, we're ruined. And the father was like, maybe. And maybe not. And then all of a sudden, all these horses came up the hill and he was like, oh, my gosh, we're going to be rich. And his father said, maybe, maybe not. We don't know. Well, as he was trying to train the horses, the horses broke his leg, both legs. And his son said, now I'm crippled. This is the worst thing to ever happen. And his father said, maybe, maybe not. And then the Chinese army came over the hill. They said, we need your son for war. And he said, he can't, he's crippled. And they left and all those men got slaughtered. So basically, when you're making an indie film and your transmission blows up or someone gets shoot in the face, it's not the end of the world. It's not. I mean, maybe, maybe guy, not. The guy who got shot in the face, it could very definitely be the end of the world. Oh, <laughs> or me or me at Alamo Draft House for sure. Yeah. But I get I get I've heard, I've heard that parable. Yeah. So what, it's yeah. a wonderful parable. Um, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? I, you know, I, everyone always says this and it's the truth is like the whole Calvary's not showing up by Mark Duplass, but I'll take it one step further and say, like, sometimes you're going to have to do everything because it's not going to be just yours until maybe one day, you know, you are uh, Wes Anderson and you can tell someone what color pink you want, but right now just do it yourself. And if you don't find joy in that, this is not for you. Mm-hmm. And three of your favorite films of all time. Oh man, I forgot about this one. Uh <laughs> I'm gonna say Badlands. Yeah. I'm gonna say It's a Wonderful Life. 
Um, now I'm George Bailey at my age. I feel like I'm George Bailey. Um, and number three is a tie because it's Point Break and Karate Kid. I mean, I because mean, the, I, those films <laughs> shouldn't those films like shouldn't be so shouldn't have worked, and they did. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I love, I love rewatching them. I just saw Point Break here in Dallas on 35 millimeter. It was gorgeous. And I'm assuming you've seen Cobra Kai. Oh yes. Of, of course. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Brother man, uh, where can people find out more about you, your films, your, and we're going to watch your movies. Yeah, yeah. You can go to joshdavidjordan.com and that's going to have everything about the new film. If you want to be, if you want to invest or if you want to throw money our way, um, it'll have This World Won't Break where you can buy that. And then all my links, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Um, yeah, because when, when the pandemic happened, uh, someone hacked my Instagram and Facebook account and they deleted them all. So I just restarted them. Um, that really stinks. So go there, follow me there. And uh, yeah, that's it. Brother, I appreciate uh, the story. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate all the support for what I do all these years. And I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you're alive. Uh, that this movie didn't kill you, though it did try. Yeah. Uh, but I appreciate you, brother. Thanks yeah. again. Man. Welcome to Texas. And I hope I see you in Austin, man. I want to thank Josh so much for coming on the show and sharing his journey with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 639. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.